You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. It's a fresh Friday edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast, broadcasting on a Friday morning from rainy Happy Valley. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you. We're going to dive into the NFL draft. Um, somewhat surprisingly, all Penn State players still on the board entering day two. Uh, round one is in the books late into Thursday evening. Did not hear Yitor Grossmatos' name called. We're going to talk about uh, why that may have happened and also get into other notable prospects with CBS analyst. Josh Edwards, he joins us later here in the show, does a great job covering the NFL draft, talks about each of the five Penn State players who landed in CBS's final seven-round mock draft, and and also got into it about Yitor Grossmatos, and, and we recorded on Wednesday, uh, in one hand we said if he ended up going you know, in higher than anticipated, why would that happen, and if he ended up going into the second round, why would that happen, we now the, know the uh, outcome and, and anticipate he'll be one of the top names to know entering Friday night's selection process. But uh, a complete breakdown with Josh coming your way. Sean and I will get into it. We'll talk about our pre-draft pr- predictions, projections for some of these guys and already uh, have gone up in smoke, but we have a chance with some of the later round guys perhaps to get those right. And, and Sean, um, obviously we thought maybe, uh, probably more than maybe, we'd be talking about Yitor Grossmatis' new NFL destination. Uh, that is the storyline for Penn State fans waking up here on a Friday. Didn't come to fruition for the big man. Obviously uh, not what he was looking for leaving early and, and, and with the career that he put together at Penn State. But a lot of big names still available on that draft board when, when you look at that round two, which begins at 7 p.m. Friday. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good names, a lot of good options out there. Um, you know, we'll see uh, what happens. I mean, it I uh, still by no means think it was a mistake coming out or anything like that, but you know, he's going to take a little bit of hit on the money and you know, that's unfortunate. I think the spring really hurt him, but uh we'll get into the draft talk a little bit later. Like I said, it's unfortunate for for a good kid like Etor uh just to uh you you, you really thought I don't want to say first round lock, but you really thought that there was a strong possibility, especially with teams like Seattle sitting there at 27 and then the Vikings trade back and they have needs there. So it's just uh, crazy to see what happens. But uh, that's uh, that's the fun of the NFL draft. I thought, by the way, I thought the draft production was fantastic. I mean, for what they had to work with, for what they did, um, you know, I thought I thought they did a really nice job. I, I enjoyed watching that draft. I'm maybe not more than a typical draft because you don't have everybody yelling at Goodell like usual, but uh, I really enjoyed what they did uh, on on the on the program last night. Goodell was a bit strange because he was trying to act like an engaging person, and that's I just don't think that's who he necessarily is when we when we get him uh, in these kind of settings. And that was interesting to see, but I thought it was great how they raised awareness. Um, and, and throughout, you know, honor the people who are really stepping up uh, through this pandemic and the whole situation and acknowledging where we're at. But yeah, I think television production, someone's getting a raise at the end of the day or some someone's going to get a, some major kudos across this production board because we try to do Zoom calls. Sometimes we deal with logistical issues here, just you and I recording a podcast on Skype. So to see them have 60 prospects and, and collaborate NFL Network, ESPN, Good stuff, and it was uh, it was nice to view something sports related that you didn't already know the outcome to, because that has been the only sports that we have been able to watch here for the last month and a half or so. Uh, so I'm in total agreement. Mike Vrabel, by the way, what was happening in that man's living room, bathroom, the whole situation? That was interesting to me, and uh, uh, and also it just it's it's funny what what kind of comes out of this. Um, some people watching with their significant others, uh, a lot of criticism on on curtains. Mom and dad need to invest in new curtains in their living room, and it was it was a nice way for everyone to, to get their own take on the NFL draft uh, by by popping into every single person's living room, whether they're a GM or a coach or or whatnot. So we'll talk more. The, those that won the draft in my house were the ones drafting with their kids, the young the younger kids. Yes. My wife was ah, oh, they're adorable. She loved Brian Flores and her kids, and they were. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, the Dolphins were, were busy on Thursday night. And uh, yeah, she that, that that's how we judged them in this household. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the kids were the stars of the show. There was there were probably less dogs than I anticipated. 
but, but, but anyways, getting back into the player portion of the draft, we will talk about this. We'll give you uh, our predictions on uh, where some of these guys will land. Again, we're already moving past a couple of our predictions, and, and so we'll, but we will focus on a few of the late rounders. Sean has a guy getting drafted that I don't have getting drafted, and we'll talk about that in a little bit more uh, again with Josh Edwards out of CBS. First, just a few notes, Penn State related to the 2020 team and recruiting efforts. Not a lot going on since we last spoke on Monday when we did a, a pretty detailed breakdown of the recent depth chart release. You heard from a couple coaches on that call. Uh, we heard from uh, Taylor Stubblefield, first-year wide receivers coach, earlier this week. And just, frankly, not much to, to really pass along your way coming out of that. Jahan Dotson is the starter. They're counting on him. They like his progression. Everything else you see on that depth chart, as as kind of projected here, uh, he said, don't even consider it written down in pencil. Consider it kind of a, a watercolor. That That's what Stubblefield said, who, by the way, was coming to us from a, an RV in his home state in Washington State where he's spending time with his mom uh, during this situation. So uh, another representative of how these coaches are scattered across the country trying to recruit players who are scattered across the country while also trying to coach up players who are scattered across the country. So a lot going on there. But yeah, Sean, we mentioned TJ Jones, Daniel uh, George being the two starters listed there alongside uh, with Jahan Dotson. Going to be a fluid situation to say the least. And and when I asked the question, I'll tell you, Taylor Stubblefield seemed more ready, willing, and able to discuss why he was in an RV, which was the first part of my question, than he was to to really get into why the depth chart was ordered in a particular way. I think this is a, a total mystery to him and what he's got there, aside from the personality traits and who's able to kind of study up on what he's sending their way at digesting the the, the concepts and the playbook. Beyond that, though, from a personnel standpoint, who's going to make a difference on the field? He sounded just about as baffled as we have this offseason. Well, he probably knows more and has seen more from the RV than he has these receivers. <laughs> so it's not a surprise. I think when I uh, when I made up our depth chart this spring, I was like, man, just print this out, take it and put it in the bottom of the birdcage because it's going to be different at some point. So, um, you know, he was, he's, you know, TJ Jones was at the top of that list. And we talked we've talked about him a few times now. Uh, the you know, him and him and John Dunmore all ultimately very close at that position. Um, you know, he had a lot of good things to say about Keandre Lambert in terms of his work ethic and the way that, you know, he has approached everything since he got to campus back in January. So I think that's a positive thing, but yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of befuddled just like all of us. He doesn't know really what to expect. I mean, you know, you know, Jahan Dotson for the most part, you know what you're getting there. Daniel George obviously needs to uh, needs to take a step up. I mean, all these guys need to take a step up. So really, nothing surprising coming out of this double field call. But I did, you know, I did catch that answer about Keandre Lambert and the way that he's approached things, and you know, sort of on a different level than maybe not a different level than everybody else. But you don't expect a freshman to come in with the initiative that he did, and I think he's ready to go. Yeah, continuing the theme of, of good feedback on Keandre Lambert since he enrolled in January, not necessarily surprising, considered him uh, among those early enrollees, one of the Im- early impact guys would have been great to get some spring practice under his belt. Uh, but well, yeah, maybe that opens the door for, for guys like Parker Washington, Norvell Black, who are coming in here in a bit uh, to, to push for playing time. And it's interesting when you've got a guy who has 40 career receptions at the college level and Jahan Dotson that you're really hanging your hat on as the as the known commodity. You know, it, it tells you all you need to know about this wide receiver room right now. Uh, when we get into recruiting, defensive end seems to be a spot that, that you and I focus in on, whether we're writing about it or talking about it here on the podcast. Pretty routinely at this point, there are some positions, whether it's defensive end uh, or running back, where, where you know, or, I'm sorry, whether it's tight end or running back, where, you know, even as it's a bit of a scramble and names come off the board and you add them to the board, you feel really good about ending up with a top tier player. However, because of the way things have kind of been brewing locally, regionally, with the defensive end position in the 2021 class and the inability to get some of the more recent targets, uh, you know, dating back to midwinter onto campus as everything is shut down, this defensive end spot continues to be tricky. Max Llewellyn out of Iowa committing to the in-state Hawkeyes this week. He's a player who I spoke with 
uh, just about two weeks ago or so. I, I think I've lost track of time a bit, but I, I, earlier this month, I'll put it that way, and he said Penn State was the school that, uh, upon receiving an offer from Coach John Scott Jr., the, the new defensive line coach that uh, he was anticipating using an official visit, uh, something that he would have been proactive about doing had he been able to do that in the spring. Uh, obviously, things were pushed off, but it was a school that when he resurfaced and was able to make visits, uh, he was going to try to pinpoint. I don't know whether he didn't want to wait, whether he just felt the in-state squad was the right fit, or whether he felt it was inevitable that he would end up with the Hawkeyes. But he announces that commitment, and then within about 48 hours, Penn State goes and sends out another 2021 defensive end offer in Iowa. A bit late in the game here. He's a kid who already put out a top list not too long ago. Uh, but they sent an offer out to TJ Bowler's uh, crystal ball pointing toward Wisconsin for him. He's a four-star player. Just another name to know, I guess, Sean. Yeah, going down the list in Iowa. So I, I can't imagine they're going to get very far uh, in, in that state. But yeah, defensive end is kind of the perfect storm of awful right now. I mean, there's uh, you know very few targets in this region. And, and the ones that are out there, even the ones with good scholarship offer lists, just really don't move the needle all that much. You look at it and you're, you're trying to find an Adisa Isaac or a Jason away or somebody that, that, that has those intangibles and, and really not much out there. We, I mean, we've talked endlessly about Aaron Armitage and, you know, he's probably an interior guy at the end and, you know, at the next level, Jason Anye in, in Rhode Island, put in a crystal ball this week for, for Notre Dame. I mean, that's, that's one that you know we've seen for a while that he really liked Notre Dame, and all of a sudden you get that uh, get that opportunity and go with it. So I mean, it's uh, slim pickings in this region. Then all of a sudden you get a coaching change. You bring John Scott in. You're not allowed to have uh, kids on campus. Just everything that could go wrong, basically going wrong at this point. Now there's still some good options out there. Of course, George Wilson uh, is a guy that we've been looking at for a while. The kid uh, from from Virginia Beach, by the way, Trevion Stevenson, who's, I, I think I've made it fairly clear on our board, uh, you know, really wasn't going to be an option that, that Penn State offered a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he committed to Pitt this week. So just another name, you know, out there that's off the board. Um, you got to think that, uh, or, or you got to wonder if those connections down south are going to come through. Guys like Trevally Price, um, in North Carolina, and uh, you know, you get all of a sudden you're going to be looking all over the the country for for different kind of guys, and you end up once again in Iowa. And as we've said before, when you're looking all over the country for guys, and guys have not been on your campus, and you haven't had a chance to really put them through some of the testing processes and getting eyeballs on them in the way you would like and feel comfortable to accept a, a scholarship offer, you documented that well last week in your S zone. And and a perfect example is a player I spoke with last week, Landon Watson, who who we we spoke about a bit, the four star uh, out of Texas, and kid who sounds high on Penn State, got an offer in January, but has not been able to follow that up with, with getting to campus. They haven't been able to get down uh, and check him out in person. And you're going off of conversations, you're going off of film, you're scrambling to see what numbers and testing results are legit and what maybe are not. And yeah, there's a lot to sort through for Penn State right now with the first year uh, coach at that position. And and a couple names you mentioned there, you're, you know, you're looking for a Jason Away, you're looking for an Adiza Isaac. Those are two players that if you recall, and I know you do, they blew up during the second half of their junior year. And a big part of that was them getting in front of coaches and coaches going to their school and you know, you just wonder where are the new names going to come from? Are you kind of recycling names that were toward the bottom of your board and now are creeping up toward the top of your board simply because they were on your radar? Uh, whereas those diamond in the roughs or, or those athletic specimens who all of a sudden are, are you know finding their way on the field and gaining momentum at a particular position, that's not necessarily happening right now because we didn't have the opening camps and we don't have the Under Armour camps. And so staffs aren't getting feedback from there and they're not stopping by schools um, and getting the lowdown on how much a kid has developed and and where he may be headed tra from a trajectory standpoint so yeah this is a position that is a total wild card right now sean and, and we talk about the draft and how you know scouts didn't have a, a full array of uh you know of of testing and all this kind of feedback and research and all that kind of stuff but they still had you know at least two to three years of uh of tape on these guys so and you've got a ton of information that you can work off that you can sort of almost guarantee that's legit with high school kids. You got, I mean, you've got high school tape, which, you know, everybody says tape don't lie tape, you know, high school tape does lie at some point, you know, you, you've seen this plenty of times. Um, then you've got uh, unverified Prospect, comments. Prospects lie too. That's Prospects the other tricky part. And that's the thing that they're dealing with right now. I wrote it last week. I mean, you got a kid that says he's six, five and he's six, three, and there's no way to verify it. You know, uh, it, 
you gotta wait to see him in person. And there's really with this much money and this and these precious scholarship offer, uh, you know, with the slots available and the lack of slots available, you can't risk it on something like that. That's that's one of those reasons we talked about them taking Jeffrey Davis, who's you know his rating's not the highest, and you know his scholarship list is is nice, but it's not uh, it's not big time. I mean, but you're familiar with what he can bring to the table. You you think you know him as a prospect more so than than some of these other guys. So. Really interesting dynamic, and then you go, uh, you shift gears, and and you take a look at you know not being able to visit places, not being able to to, to camp, to 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 do officials or anything like that. A guy like Max Llewellyn, you know, you're sort of climbing that mountain, and all of a sudden, you know, you're close to the peak, but you're maybe not at the peak. So you want to wait around, you want to get to the peak, you want to keep taking visits, keep saying that. Well, all of a sudden you don't have that opportunity to do so and you think, all right, I'm close enough. I think I know, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go there. So still can see that happening for guys on Penn State's board, but uh, you know, you're going to see it all over the country. And and like I said, you, you, when this thing opens up, whenever that may be, you're going to see decommitments too. We saw one at uh, Clemson this week, which absolutely does not happen. Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country, opened things up. Uh, he wanted to visit other schools eventually, and Clemson's got a, no, a very firm no-visit policy, and all of a sudden he's back on the market. Penn State's not going to be in there. I know they need DNs, but really not that simple for a kid from California. So um, it's uh, it, it, it's a fascinating situation. There's so many things at play right now, and you know Penn State sitting with what they have is is in a pretty decent spot. You know they'd like to land some of those top tier guys. Uh, Nolan Rucci came out with his top nine last week, or this I think it was early. I don't even know what day it is. Uh, it, it's uh, so that that that's basically where they're at right now, and that's where everyone's at right now. And where we're at is, I think we know that we record on Tuesday morning and Friday morning, and then the other days we just having a lot of trouble figuring out what day it is. And, and even those days, it's, it's a tough, it's tough. Um, and you don't anyways, even have kids. It's, uh, I don't even yeah. have kids. I can't imagine what kind of mush your brain has become over there, Sean. Um, bless you and bless your wife. Uh, when we think about positions where you're talking about a coach trying to attack the recruiting board in a new setting and, and, and trying to get the other staff members on board and checking off and with James Franklin on these offers, quarterback comes to mind. And, and 2021, you know, Christian Veyu, Caleb uh, Williams have been the names to know. There was an offer out in California to Miller Moss. Um, nothing happening there as far as what we're anticipating. Uh, I think in UCLA is a team that's in a good spot for him from what you see. Um, but 2022 class, you, you've seen some new offers go out. AJ Duffy was a guy who got an offer in California a couple months ago. And then on Thursday, we saw two offers go out in the 2022 quarterback class. Uh, so Kirk Shiraka assessing uh, what he sees there without being able to see these guys throw in person once again. A challenging thing for him that he said that's the big difference for him is not being able to, to get these guys in person. Other than that, he feels like recruiting communication goes on and, and marches on as, as scheduled. The two names to know, Sean, uh, sorry, I have them in front of me, the Howards, no relation, but Walker Howard out of Louisiana, Preston Howard out of Maryland. Uh, Walker is the son of a former LSU quarterback, one of the most successful and productive quarterbacks to come out of LSU. Um, And then Preston Howard is out of Owens Mills uh, McDonough School, which is where we've seen Penn State sign uh, three consecutive classes, a player from P.J. Mustafer, Devon Ellis, and Curtis Jacobs. Now, uh, it looks like they'll be potentially breaking the action in 2021, but they've got a heck of a 2022 class down there. And this is a 6'5 quarterback in Preston Howard who picks up an offer. And, you know, that's certainly an established pipeline. So that one turns your attention. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime a quarterback offer goes out in the region, I mean, you've got your you've got your top tier guys, obviously. And and when you take a look at the you know Penn, even Penn State's twenty twenty one offers, I mean, they don't offer a ton of quarterbacks, but the ones they do offer, you know, are usually cream of the crop type things. And then we'll see where they go from there. But you've got eleven offers out to quarterbacks right now. Got one in New Jersey, of course, uh, Bo Probula in in, in York, uh, Pennsylvania. Braden Davis in Middletown, uh, Delaware. Um, and then, of course, Preston Howard, who just picked up the offer. So really interesting that they've made some moves in the region, which is, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. You kind of take your time and, and you know, you, it's not because you don't want that kid to commit, but you want to make sure when you're offering a quarterback in the region that you've done your your research and you've done some good things. Christian Veyu didn't pick up his offer until camp last summer. So um, it's uh, just an, another interesting dynamic that's going into it. Uh, Preston Howard had an Auburn offer er, early, so, you know, no slouch there. 
Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. And like I said, 2022 could be another two quarterback class. Um, we mentioned we feel really good about where Penn State stands with Prabula. You know, who's that quarterback athlete mold? And you know, they're going to uh, keep trucking and see what they can do. Uh, you know, Kirk Sharaka can't get out and see these guys and probably isn't going to have them in, in camp. And which that's something we didn't mention on our first episode this week. Penn State has canceled all camps through mid-June. Um, so that's another uh, wrench to throw into the process. So, uh, yeah, they're just going to keep at it. And uh, Preston Howard's the, the, the latest one to look at. And I, I think he's a pretty good one. That's going to be a wrap for our recruiting conversation on this episode, considering the pace at which things are moving along on the trail. I'd imagine we'll have uh, some new topics to discuss uh, in that regard next week. Additionally, uh, Brian Doan, as for our VIP subscribers, an update on Derek Davis, uh, the top defensive uh, back out of Pennsylvania, the initial 2021 offer. Uh, for Penn State on their target board, uh, discussing his recruitment, updating a lot of teams in that mix, including Ohio State. And Tyler, uh, so, b- before we move on, I want to say yeah. Pres- Preston Howard may be in that athlete mold, too. I could see, could see him being a tight end in the long run, um, but he's a really good athlete is what I kind of meant to say. Yeah, the, the measurements stand out with that kid. So um, we're going to turn our attention to the NFL draft in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law all right, day two of the NFL draft, and we'll continue into Saturday with rounds four through seven. We get rounds two and three on Friday night. I think we should see some Penn State movement, maybe multiple players, uh, maybe a surprise here. We'll find out. But Yitor Grossmatos is the name that's going to stand out. You're going to see him in the top 10 of best players available on lists across the industry entering Friday night's picks. Uh, we had a mock draft up uh, for just specifically for Penn State players up on the site, and you can keep tabs and make fun of us or congratulate us when we get these things right. But we're not going to get Utah Gross Matos right. I had him going to the Minnesota Vikings at 22. Mark had them also going to the Vikings, but with their second pick at 25. And Sean, you had him going to a very popular destination to the Seattle Seahawks at number 27. You saw the picks coming off the board. You were wondering where, where he was going to go. And, and by the end of it, 32 picks were, were, were announced. None of them were Yitor Grossmatos. Uh, AJ Epinesa does not get off the board. Ultimately, Chase Young, number two overall pick, was the only edge rusher that came off the board here. Calavion Chason out of uh, LSU also left on drafted through round one. So tells you a little bit about what the NFL scouts saw from other positions and, and what they saw from this one. Chase on actually went in the teens, but uh, yeah, I was wrong. Uh, my bad. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all right. We're not going to run it back. And uh, yeah, anyway, uh, very surprised by uh, that in terms of the lack of edge rushers, especially with the premium on the on the position. Um, I had him at twenty seven overall. I thought it was a great fit for Seattle, but I think he goes early in round two and. You know, we'll see what uh, which team he lands on. Obviously, I mean, you'd like to fall into a, a cushy uh, spot at the end of round one. You know, better team usually, and well, it's just uh, wasn't in the cards. Yeah, we'll find out. And Josh Edwards gets from CBS gets in that a lot more in our conversation with him about what stands out about Yitor and what are maybe some some issues that could have caused a slide into the second round. And not much of a slide considering we all had him in the back uh, section of round one. KJ Hamler, predictably there for day two. He's a guy who's been projected uh, by all three of us in the 50s. I've got him going 51 uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. Mark has him going to the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and Sean, where did you have him landing? Or just just right in the same vicinity, right? I, I had actually had him at number 50 to the Bears. The Bears need speed in a huge way. And uh, I think that the Bears are there. Of course, the Eagles uh, you know, are always looking for receiver help and no matter what they do. So um, you know, I, I think that's a sweet spot. And I think we still, I mean, there was a bunch of receivers taken last night. I still think that there's going to be, I mean, it's a great receiver class. I still see that being the case in, in the second round. And I can see somebody, uh, not moving up, but you know, there, I can see a sense of urgency for a guy like KJ Hamler. And, and the, like I said, the bears need everything, but they really need speed. And, you know, it'd be nice to pair him with, uh, with Allen Robinson. And you saw Jalen Rager and KJ Hamler kind of getting bunched up a bit during some of the analysis going on leading up to the draft, uh, similar speedy guys maybe fill that slot role 
Uh, I think Rager went a bit earlier than, than people anticipated going to the Eagles in the early 20s, and maybe that helps KJ here coming into round two. Uh, it, we'll, we'll find that out soon. The third guy off the board, we were in agreement on, I believe, uh, John Reed, someone who really helped his draft stock over the course of, of the offseason, especially in Indianapolis at the scouting combine, what he accomplished there in testing. Um, you should know the story. A guy who came in hot with his Penn State career, suffered a, a significant injury halfway through, struggled to bounce back as a junior in 2018, and, and began to really find solid footing last year as a fifth-year senior. I've got him going highest among us. I've got him going pick seven of round four, so very early afternoon on Saturday to the Carolina Panthers, former Penn State player Matt Rule snagging him. I think people are going to really respect what he can do out of the slot um, and the versatility. He's a selfless kid. We talked about the IQ with him and, and the film junkie and all that. I think that adds up for him in a, in a positive light. You've got him going to the New England Patriots around five, pick 172 overall, so about 60 picks after me. Uh, and then Mark also sees him going round four, uh, albeit a little bit later, um, pick 36 of round f- uh, four to the Washington Redskins. Yeah, I mean, uh, New England for me, they they utilize that slot corner. Uh, John Reed's a smart player, and you know, I I have him lower than everybody. I think we we sometimes overrate uh, Penn State players because we've seen them so much. Uh, so you guys both have him in round four. I put him in round five with a with a thought of maybe going round six. I think there's people that that think he can go in round four. I just I'm not sure that it always falls that way. Um, another guy that's uh, sort of polarizing, Cam Brown, uh, linebacker. You guys both have him in round five. I have him in round six. I think you guys uh, are taking shots here based on you know that that uh, that adage that it's only going to take one team to fall in love with him. We've mentioned before, st- scouts are oddly fascinated by cam brown he may not have the best tape out there but he's got that frame and he moves very well and you know he's just uh there's so much to work with that that you know nfl coaches are very confident in their abilities to 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 produce guys and to develop guys and cam brown's a great example of a a a team i could see a team reaching for cam brown you know maybe earlier than than i've projected here which is actually the end of the sixth round yeah, and I, I'm now seeing that we both wrote out the phrase, it only takes one team to fall in love with his physical attributes there. And, and I've, you know, I, I've got him to the Lions round five, Brennan to the Dolphins round five, and you've got him going to the Buffalo Bills. Robert Windsor, we were a bit more split on. Mark Brennan sees him going undrafted, ending up taking the uh, undrafted free agency route. Uh, I've got him in round seven to the New England Patriots, where I, I think he will end up at defensive end. That's been the, the, the conversation on Robert Windsor, as we'll get to with, with CBS's Josh Edwards in a bit. Where will he end up on an NFL defensive line? And you're higher than me. You've got him going round six to the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, in a draft where research is limited and, you know, you're not trying to or you don't have as many um, measurables and things like that at your disposal. I think that's good for Robert Windsor. Obviously, he's a little light. He's a little short uh, uh, in terms of length, uh, arm length and, and his position. You know, it still remains to be seen. But, you know, he's got some some good tape. He's got uh, that motor that you're looking for. I think he fits what the Packers are doing. And obviously, as as a Wisconsin native, I think that's a natural fit there. So I have him higher than you guys. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, I think he's worked his way continuously up the board. And, and we'll put him in round six for me. Another where uh, I'm the outlier this time. I don't have him being drafted, and that is Nick Bowers, tight end out of Penn State, a guy who worked his way through some significant medical setbacks while on campus, uh, came up with a, with a really impressive senior season, especially with a 10 catches, three touchdowns after catching, I think, six, seven balls uh, through his first four years on campus. And, you know, he's stuck behind Pat Fryermuth, not going to get a lot of attention, but those of us who cover the team respect him. I don't think anybody gave him as much uh, shine as you did over the past year or so, Sean. And, and as you say in your write-up, you've been talking about him being a draftable prospect. You're going to die on that hill. You got him going round seven to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mark has him going round seven to the Houston Texans. Bill O'Brien finally takes a Penn State guy. I was very tempted here. I'm not going to lie. He's the number one guy I ranked among Penn State undrafted free agents. I have a I have an inkling he's going to be on a 2020 NFL roster. I just wasn't quite there to pull the trigger. Tight end class here uh, seems to be pretty way down. I mean, you don't hear a lot of talk. Cole Komet is, is the top guy you're hearing at the position, and he may not go until midway through the second round, if not later. So tight end position's in a weird spot. I guess that maybe helps Bowers, but uh, you know, clearly you're gonna you're gonna stick with this. And and I certainly don't think when we get to the end of Saturday, I think there's a, a great chance that you're right. I just wasn't quite ready to to jump on the bandwagon with you guys. 
See, I don't, I don't know that there's a great chance that I'm right, but as much talk <laughs> you're going as I've done it. about it yeah. in the last year, I'm, I have to be right here. So, uh, no, I mean, it's, it, it's unfortunate for Nick that he didn't get a fair shake with the, with the pro day and all that pro kind day of would stuff. Have been huge for him, I think he, yeah. he, he is, he would have put up good numbers. He would have opened some eyes and, and done some things. And I, I have him moving into the very back of the draft and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I could see, you know, a team like the Steelers, uh, you know, another local pick here. I had Windsor going to the Packers. I've got Bowers going to the Steelers. Um, it, and, you know, it, it's it's not about where you land at this point. It's it's do you get drafted or not? I Like I said, I'm not 100% confident in that because, you know, he didn't get a chance to show really show what he could do. But he's a productive football player. He's a tough kid. He's going to be one of those guys at the end of the draft that basically do whatever you ask of him. And and you mentioned tight end's not a great spot in this draft. So maybe he does. Uh, maybe there's a run on them at some point and that that well is not so deep. So all of a sudden, you know, he's thrust into the picture. So I hope he does. Um, you know, he's certainly earned it. He's been through a ton. The injury history is not great for him, but uh, he's a tough kid. He, he was productive when called upon this year, and I think he certainly deserves it. And he's a tight end that you can keep. In, you don't If you draft a tight end late and he's a guy who's used to getting, you know, 50 receptions a year, that may be an issue in getting him on board to do everything else for you. Nick Bowers, I, I, there's no expectations for him to come in and be a major pass target. He'll he'll do the dirty work that needs to be done at that position, and I think that's the way he, he earns an, a roster spot ultimately. Who will earn a roster spot despite not hearing their name called? As I said, my list starts with Nick Bowers. Uh, this is something that we didn't do last year, but we ordered our, our you know, undrafted free agent kind of power rankings coming out out of Penn State. Uh, you and I are, are, are both uh, high on Bowers, uh, but I've got him going on drafted. Steven Gonzalez is number two on each of our lists. you got Blake Gillikin. Uh, no surprise to see you giving the love to, to the punter and what he accomplished at Penn State. You're a big Blake guy. Uh, you've got him going uh, as the number one guy here. But we both have, and I think this turns some heads maybe on the message board, we both got Dan Chisena as the number three most likely to you know stick with the team or uh, end up on an active roster in 2020 as an undrafted free agent. We've both got him ahead of Jan Johnson, Garrett Taylor, multi-year starters on Penn State's defense, and to me, special teams, that elite speed, what he's what he was able to do as a gunner at Penn State, um, and hey, he had a nice little showing in a, in a kind of a minor senior showcase as a wide receiver, but him as a wide receiver isn't going to really be what locks up a spot. I think the wide receiver special teams combination, and then who knows, we've seen stranger things happen at the receiver spot where teams carry you know, five, six guys typically on a roster. Um, so maybe we're, you and I, a bit higher on Chisena because Mark's got him a, a dead last among undrafted free agents. Well, I mean, you, you got to ha- make sure his agent has the, the Patriots on speed dial. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, that's what it is, what it is. I mean, he's he's not going to make a team as a receiver, obviously. He's he's going to make it as a special teamer. He's going to make it as a guy that, uh, you know, is basically going to be your gunner, a guy that can run down the field. The speed is documented, everything like that. There's a lot going there. His size is, I mean, this isn't some 5'10 guy that's just running around. It's 175 pounds. The size is documented there. So he, he would be far from the first guy to have an unproductive college career that broke through just on physical attributes. So I, I have Chisena being a very intriguing, I've talked to some people around the league. They're just so uh, intrigued by that speed. And that's something that's, that's, you know, you can't teach, you can't coach up. So I'm um, intrigued to see where he lands, uh, confident he's going to be at least in a camp. So uh, might as well throw him on there. Well, we'll find out. Uh, we have seen time and time again, don't have to be drafted to, to earn a spot in the NFL. By the way, Penn State entering this process, 356 draft picks uh, in program history. That's top 10 all time. We see, we'll see how many they end up with here. I've got them uh, getting five guys off the board. Going uh, to got- pass Nebraska this year, I believe. And, and, and they're right there, not far behind Michigan, I think, uh, was the stats we were reading. So, notable. Yeah, yeah notable yeah. stuff and good company. And, and, and you've got six going off the board. That would match each of the t- last two seasons, six players being drafted. And that is the high mark since. 1996 when they had nine guys go in the draft I believe that number was so uh may not see the first rounders again ninth time in 10 years there's no first rounder out of Penn State but guys are getting their shot in the NFL and and the talent level as we've talked about with the blue strip ratio and all that it's moving on up for this Penn State roster so I think the 2021 draft may be more eventful on Thursday night uh for the Nittany Lions but that's a long way away you can check out all of our draft related coverage when when guys land places we will have stories up on the site uh, right now, we're going to get into Josh Edwards uh, from CBS uh, Sports, who covers the NFL draft for a living. Sean, unless you have anything else to add, we'll, we'll say goodbye to you, move forward, and, and we'll talk to everybody next week. 
Nope. I hope everybody enjoys the draft coverage this weekend, not only from us, but uh, obviously the, the draft itself. But uh, always a fun time, and it's good to have some sports, man. Good yes, to have sports. Absolutely. C- totally agree. Uh, now let's turn our attention to Josh Edwards and getting a little bit more about these Penn State players. We bring in from CBS draft analyst Josh Edwards, uh, who was kind enough to spare some time during a very busy week for him. Uh, clearly, full disclosure for our listeners out there, we are recording this interview on a Wednesday morning, it's going to be part of our Friday podcast. So uh, by the time everyone hears this, we will know the first 32 picks. We'll be waiting for the start of rounds two and three uh, in Friday evening. Uh, so for now, Josh, uh, we're going to approach this thing. Uh, you know, we got one Penn State player that looks like a strong possibility for the first round. We'll get to that in a moment. But thanks again uh, for, for giving us some time here. I know there's a lot going on in your world right now. Yeah, no problem, man. We've got a uh, strong network at 24-7. You know, I obviously am, uh, I respect all the work that everybody does in our network. So happy to jump on, talk some football and kind of return to normalcy a little bit. Yeah, beautiful. Like we were saying before we started recording here, you know, it's nice to to see something sports related start on time. And it looks like that's going to happen on Thursday. We've heard some folks say, including some NFL general managers on the record in recent weeks and months, you know, be skeptical about whether this was a a legitimate option to get this going on April 23rd. Uh, We heard from James Franklin back in March that he felt like this should actually be postponed uh, due to the the current situation and, and the lack of availability. And, and 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 pro days and all that going on. So let's start there. What do you see as the biggest challenges as we head into this draft that is very much clearly unlike any we've seen? Well, I think it's a it's going to be a lot of issues that people can relate to at home. It's going to be um, you know bandwidth issues, you know connectivity. It's going to be people muting you know their their voices on a conference call whether it's zoom or skype or however they're communicating it's that little stuff that we probably take for granted now but these are nfl general managers um decision makers owners all that kind of stuff so they're qualified to make football decisions but these are not the most technologically sound people on the face of the earth i mean we look at Bill Belichick, he's calling stuff like face snap and, you know, whatever conglomerations he kind of comes up with to describe social media. He's going to have some problems, I would imagine. So it's going to be running, man. These guys are going to going to have to figure it out on the fly a little bit. But, um, you know, I think people probably don't really consider that while they are strong football minds, they're not any more advanced when it comes to technology than, than the rest of us. They've, they've obviously got some people that they rely upon um, that are you know going to be able to troubleshoot some issues that they have along the way, but this is going to be a fast process. You get 10 minutes in the first round, um, you know, and you have the ability to pause time if you're working on a trade or you have some kind of an issue, but uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I can't imagine it's going to go off without a hitch, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're still working on this past midnight. I've been around some football facilities where the IT guys are essentially, you know, uh, no one really pays attention to them. They're just in the background. They do their thing. They set up stuff before the meetings and coaches talk football. Those IT guys are going to be the real MVPs, I think, these next few days, or they're going to be the goats and get a lot of blame. We'll see how it goes for them. You mentioned something interesting there. The mute button. I think we're all learning about that on our on our conference calls with work and, and with family about the value of knowing when the mute is on and off. That should be interesting during a live television broadcast. That's a good point. Um, something else I wanted to get to. That's logistics right there. How about the actual football evaluation process? These are multi-million dollar investments that franchises franchises are going to make in you know 21, 22 year old young men. But that's been very limited in what they can actually assess. The in-person stuff is very well documented. You got a lot of, of things being uh, broadcast with personal coaches. Uh, you know, Tua Tagovailoa's uh, workout with Trent Dilfer stands out when I think about that stuff. Uh, but the lack of pro day uh, uh, across campuses, you know, it, it, it's so much. It serves as a springboard for players who are on the fringe, uh, not just of a first round status, but just to be drafted in general. And then also, it can raise those red flags that could drop a guy down some boards and maybe a few rounds. Without that in these notebooks of these general managers and scouts, how are they going to move forward confidently? 
Well, you're going to have to take the information that you have and just make the most informed decision as possible. I mean, I, I think that teams will have a very good understanding of what the top 100 players look like. I mean, these are guys that were at the Combine. Uh, they probably had a chance to meet with them at the super, the, the Senior Bowl or the Combine. Um, so those guys are not as familiar. They should be able to make informed decisions based on the tape. Where it becomes an issue is the guys that you know were not invited to the Combine, that did not have a pro day. We see these virtual pro days that are taking place, but let's be realistic. I mean, how much do you actually value those when you're considering there's guys out here claiming they're running less than a 4-2 or less than a 4-3? Like, those are anomalies. They don't happen. Um, so those are kind of tossed aside because of the validity. You don't have your own guys there to to do the testing, so there's no, like, regimented, um, you know, plan in place for the guys that are doing those pro days. So it's going to be really interesting. You're obviously trying to have these virtual interviews, but um, the more we kind of move forward in the future, these guys are so well-trained with, with um, you know, what to say in interviews and what not to say and how, how to act and all this kind of stuff. They're so well-trained. They get so much preparation. That part of the process is kind of being, you know, diminished as well. So um, the biggest issue here is going to be the medicals. That's going to be uh, the biggest thing here and, and the the players that were not invited to the combine and then the post-draft process with undrafted free agents, that's going to be really hectic as, as people with an organization try to communicate and figure out how much money they have to give to certain positions. And um, it's going to be a madhouse, man. I mean, everybody's going to have to figure this out, but uh, the thing that it comes down to is everybody is dealing with the same issues. Same issues, same salary caps, same amount of roster spots. So it isn't even playing field there. And to your point, there is something to be said for being able to sit in your own living room or your parents' living room and have one of these virtual conversations with a general manager or an executive or an owner or a head coach at the NFL level versus getting on a plane, putting on a suit in the hotel, driving to the team facilities, sitting in front of them. It's just a completely different way to gauge who a person is when you're face-to-face in that circumstance. And uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But let's let's turn our attention to Penn State. Um, and I mentioned to you, uh, we wanted to go over those five players who were listed in CBS's latest seven-round mock draft, which I love. That's a lot of work that goes into it. I think Ryan Wilson put this one together. Uh, this is not an easy thing to do. 255 picks, five Penn State football players featured in them. And we'll start with the projected first. First round talent here. Yitor Gross Matos uh, finished his career after three years at Penn State, top 10 all time in sacks, top 10 all time in tackles for a loss. And right now, we consistently see him, whether it's CBS or other outlets, in that bottom third of the first round. Uh, Seattle Seahawks seem to be a popular pick. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, you see that. These are all mid, mid to late 20s. Here we see him going to the Seahawks at 27. Previous projection was the Vikings at 22, as I said. Let's say, let's put it this way. Uh, if if this airs on Friday and Yitor Gross Matos is still on the board going into round two, why did that happen? Well, I think it's primarily because he's not the most explosive. I mean, he's got a great frame. He's strong. He's got a high motor. Um, you know, you see some good hand fighting, but he's not the most explosive off the snap. So I think that could possibly be something that deters teams a little bit. I still think he's a first-round talent. I mean, we've got a comparison to Jason Pierre-Paul. Jason Pierre-Paul has done a, a pretty good job, or you know, he's had a pretty good career for himself in the NFL, so I don't think anybody would have any issues with that kind of a comparison. Um, in our updated aggregate rankings, we've got him ranked as the number 20 prospect, so we value him as a first-round pick. Um, it's just a matter when you get to that part of the draft, it really does become, you know, what, what teams – what teams desire, you know, they have certain things that they look for in positions. They have different boards. Um, so once you get past all those players with first round grades, you enter into this larger pool of prospects with a second round grade. And then it kind of becomes in the air, you know, whereas you maybe had three players that were in the mix for one of your first round picks, all of a sudden you're talking about possibly having 10 players in the mix for one of your picks or, you know, maybe pared down a little bit more than that, but it's a, it's a larger list of prospects that you could possibly pick from. So for me, the Vikings make sense, as you mentioned, because they lost Everson Griffins. So you've got some immediate opportunity there. 
um, on the edge across from Daniil Hunter. Um, the Seahawks. The Seahawks are another one because they have not signed Jadevian Clowney yet, so they need some pass rush. They need pass rush even if Jadevian Clowney comes back. So um, those are two fits. I can easily see why everybody is mocking Gross Matos to those two teams uh, because they have the most opportunity available. But the reality is he is a good player, and teams do not always draft based on need. So when you get to that part of the first round, there's going to be a team that says, you know, we don't really need this position right now. It may be a little while before we really are able to offer him significant playing time, but we like what he's able to do on the field and we're willing to bring him in, allow him to develop and, and uh, you know, eventually take over for whoever is manning the position currently. Um, let me post this one to you. What is more likely when people listen to this on Friday that Yitor Grossmatos is still on the board or that he goes higher than people expected? Let's say uh, that he ends up in the top 19 picks versus falling into to that bottom 12 of the first half, first round. Yeah, I would say it's more likely that he possibly slides into the second round and getting into that top 20 range simply because I think there's just a... Um, a line of demarcation of sorts between that top group and then kind of this next tier of prospects. I think this is a really, really good class at the top. Um, you know, every one of those four tackles de- deserves to be taken there. Three quarterbacks, probably. You're looking at, you know, Isaiah Simmons, Chase Young, all the names that everybody's familiar with. I think it's actually a really deep class at the top. And unless a guy like maybe Javon Kinlaw slides, Maybe that creates a little bit of an opportunity um, for Gross Matos there in the top 20. But I think it's more realistic that he might fall to the second round or be taken late in the first round than it would be if he were taken in that top group. Well, we'll know the answer uh, waking up on Friday, heading into to round two. And, and that's really when the focus for Penn State fans is going to shift to K.J. Hamler. A uh, guy who had certainly had high expectations for himself at the NFL scouting combine uh, told reporters that he he planned to run in the four two seven range. Only one guy ran a sub four three out there in Indianapolis, so certainly would have been elite company. KJ's been doing his best to try to remotely show off that quickness. We saw it firsthand here for the last couple of years, even going back to his days as a recruit. What he brings to the field in terms of speed, potential special teams returner. In your mind, uh, K.J. Hamler, you talk about the depth of this class as a whole. How about the depth at wide receiver? If this is a different year with, let's say, more of a watered-down receiver group and not so many guys that are considered first-round slam dunks, is there more of a conversation about K.J. Hamler sneaking into that first round? Uh, Possibly, because we've seen so many teams desire that speedster like a Tyree Kill. Um, You know, we saw what he was able to do in the Super Bowl, and that was obviously... Uh, a big reason for their victory. I look at, you know, San Francisco, they were able to witness that firsthand and maybe they are a team that's looking for some more speed to their offense this off season. So um, KJ Hamler, I actually like him a little bit more than Jalen Rager, who, you know, is another one of those smaller shiftier receivers. Um, you know, Hamler is, he's got a bit of a slight frame. We've got him compared to Philip Dorsett, who was taken in the first round. So you kind of see the upside that, we believe that KJ Hamler has, but um, there's no doubt in my mind he would run fast if he did run the 40 yard dash, but it kind of hurt him that he said he was going to run at his pro day and then he didn't get a chance to do that. Um, so we've got him at the number 68 player overall. That's between myself, Ryan Wilson, Christian Paso. Um, I actually like him a little bit more than that because, again, I value him more than I do Jalen Rager. I've got my own issues with, with Rager, but. Again, he's he's a little tiny, which you're going to have some durability issues, um, and he's not physical off the snap, so he's going to have problems with those those press corners. Um, he's fast, he cuts hard, you know, he attacks his routes. I like a lot about him. I like a lot about him. I think he's probably going to end up in the second, maybe the third round. Um, a couple teams that come to mind would be the Buccaneers, the Packers. A couple teams that could use kind of a smaller, shiftier kind of guy, but. I think what may hurt him a little bit is it really is just a matter of, you know, what flavor of ice cream you want, because there are a handful of slot receivers projected to be taken in the second to third round, whether that's, um, you know, K.J. Hamler, Jalen Rager, Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky. You've got Devin Duvernay from Texas. 
Um, so there's some options there for teams. It's going to be a matter of which player that these teams prefer. So that's the difference between being taken in the second round and then possibly sliding into the third round. But for me, I think KJ Hamler probably deserves to be taken on the second round. I'd love to see him with Tom Brady in, in Tampa Bay personally, but um, you know, again, it's a matter of preference. And here in Happy Valley, people are thinking matching up with another former Penn State wide receiver, Chris Godwin, and, and what is really emerging as a very compelling offensive attack for the Buccaneers with Rob Gronkowski coming back into the league. Uh, the latest CBS mock draft, by the way, has KJ Hamler going number 51 to the Dallas Cowboys, which is a significant bump. The, the previous one that came out a few weeks ago had him going 71st overall to the L.A. Chargers. So uh, as you said, uh, the range extends second to third round. Assume he'll be off the board by the time we get into Saturday uh, and, and the final four rounds of this draft. And that's where the majority of these Penn State prospects figure to land if they are drafted. And the next man off the board in the CBS mock uh, here, Josh, was John Reed. And he was a major climber. I'm not necessarily surprised to see that really helped himself out at the scouting combine in Indianapolis. He goes from number 255 in round seven to number 137 in round four to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, came in hot during his Penn State career, suffered an injury, uh, struggled to bounce back as a redshirt junior, certainly played much better last fall and went out and showed what he's physically capable of doing in Indy. Is he seem like a guy who is uh, trending at the right time? Yeah, no question. You'd rather be trending up at this point in time than trending down- downwards. But, um, you know, another guy, he's not the most physical player, but at the same time, I was actually impressed with his open field tackling. He was pretty consistent there. Um, I love his awareness, his instincts. He does struggle getting off blocks, but again, that kind of goes back to his frame. Um, we've got a comparison of Nevin Lawson to him, which Nevin has had a pretty solid NFL career. Um, we also have him projected as the number 161 player overall in our aggregate rankings, which equates to the fifth round. So, I mean, that's a that's a pretty respectable figure. You get a chance to join a team, um, and you'll probably start off as maybe the nickel, maybe you, you know, you're a depth addition at the time, but could possibly work into a starter's role. So John Reed is a guy that kind of endeared himself to us throughout the process, um, kind of grew to like him the more I watched him. And, you know, I, I would not be surprised if, you know, he was taken soon or not. I shouldn't say he's not going to be taken day one or day two, but when you get into that day three, I would not be surprised if he was taken in the fourth or the fifth round as opposed to the sixth or the seventh. Interesting. We'll, we'll follow John Reed and, and a couple other defenders that come off the board here in round six and round seven, respectively. Go with Robert Windsor. CBS has him going round two, uh, round six to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, pick 205. That's up 46 slots from the last uh, mock draft that CBS put out of the seven round variety. Now, the question with Windsor, and I know this, this probably goes uh, with a lot of guys, has that tag of is he a 4 3 defensive tackle? Can he handle that? Is he more of a 3 4 defensive end? When you get a prospect like that with Robert Windsor, uh, standing about six foot four, 290 pounds, played a lot of games at Penn State, but there's still questions about his fit in the NFL. How does that impact draft stock? Yeah, I think you have to look at, you know, his his past production in terms of what he's going to be a fit for in a base scheme. So he, you know, his past production was kind of down this past offseason or this past season. So I kind of envision him being more of, you know, that three, four defensive end. Um, I didn't like that he gets washed out of his gaps, you know, so he kind of he, he lacks discipline at times, just gets a little bit too excited trying to get to the quarterback. But the things I love about him, he drives his feet in the run game. So he's always going to press the pocket. He's got pretty good hand fighting skills, and then he's going to draw a lot of double teams. So um, I, again, grew to like him the more that I watched him. I was actually a pretty big fan of his. Um, If he didn't get washed out of his gaps so much, I probably would have had him rated a little bit higher. But that's something that you can at least coach out. So you see a little bit of of, of the potential there. Um, we've We've got him compared to Jonathan Ledbetter, and uh, ranked the 284th prospect overall, which is a little bit outside the top 250 when you're considering the number of picks in this draft. But again, I like him a little bit more than that. I think he's got um, some good potential to position. We are in an age of the NFL where you're almost playing positionless football 
um, similar to what we've seen in basketball recently. You have these positionless kind of players. So the fact that, you know, maybe he's a 3-4 defensive end, maybe he's a 4-3 defensive tackle, like that kind of stuff is not much of an issue because you actually may be drawn to his versatility a little bit, the fact that you can move him around a little bit depending on what you want to show. Um, so that could actually help him a little bit. I, I think if, if there were a time that he was coming out for the NFL, right now would probably be the best time for him. And the last Penn State player featured in this mock draft we'll get through here, Josh, is Cam Brown. Have him going uh, round seven, pick 216. A slight fall off. He was projected around six to the Green Bay Packers earlier. This one has him going to the Washington Redskins. Uh, with Cam Brown, that positional fluidity figures to be a factor. He finished top 10 out in Indianapolis in terms of the vertical leap and broad jump among linebackers. Added a 4.72 40-yard dash at six foot five, 233 pounds. Seems like, you know, depending on the coaching staff, they're going to have something in mind for this guy, and it's not going to be the same across the board. Does he seem like the kind of late round lottery ticket that 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 is appealing to to teams out there? Without a question, because again, we're in this age of positionless football. You're looking for guys that are going to be able to cover sideline to sideline. That's kind of who Cam Brown is. Now there are a lot of those options in this draft class. Um, I mean, it starts at the top with Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen, um, both active, probably a little undersized linebackers. Um, than what we've seen in the past. You know, you're, they're not your typical traditional NFL middle linebacker, but that's what you're looking for in the NFL now because we've got so many of these spread offenses uh, that you've got to be able to cover a running back out of the backfield at a moment's notice. And I think Cam Brown kind of gives you that flexibility. Um, you, you know, he's he shows some of that fluidity in his hips. He's got good instincts, good top end speed. Um, you talked about the explosive traits that he was able to show at the combine. Um, he does struggle to get off blocks at times, which is a bit of an issue for me because if you're um, going to be tied up in blocks, it's kind of hard for you to make any plays. Um, but again, you're taking a shot on the guy that could possibly be the modern-day NFL linebacker that maybe your team lacks. I mean, we haven't seen too many of those guys that are you know, the modern NFL linebacker, but at the same time, they're talented enough to justify their selection. So We've seen Jerome Baker, um, Darius Leonard, Bobby Okariki, some of those guys who traditionally would be undersized get taken a little bit earlier than what they would have in the past. But there aren't enough of those guys at this point in time, which, again, could help a guy like Cam Brown, who, as teams try to fill out their roster, try to get somebody that's going to fill that that role. Um, Cam Brown is a name that could easily come up earlier um, on day three than, than maybe what we're expecting. So... We've got a comparison to Jermaine Pratt, um, who was a linebacker out of NC State, was drafted to the Bengals, I believe, in the fourth or the fifth round. Um, and then he's the number 236 player overall on our board. So uh, you see a little bit of a range there. Would not be surprised if he was taken earlier than expected, but I would not expect him to be taken before the fourth round, at least, just because there is actually a lot of those smaller um, active sideline to sideline caliber linebackers in this draft class. And that's, that's probably going to hurt him a little bit. Um, but I think because of his positional fluidity, you, you kind of have um, some more potential, some more upside, and, and that's what's going to draw teams to him on day three. We'll be able to sort through all of this uh, end of the day, Saturday into Sunday. And, and then, uh, as you said, the frenzy for undrafted free agents this year figures to be uh, very notable uh, in these circumstances. I'll leave you with this uh, non-Penn State related. When we're talking about top of the draft kind of guys, in your opinion, as you've assessed these guys for months now and, and tried to get a hold on who's going where and, and who's a good fit, who do you think is a prospect that we're talking about maybe too much, maybe inflating their value near the top of this 2020 NFL draft board in terms of what they can do long-term in the NFL? And then on the flip side, a prospect that maybe isn't getting enough love, even if they are a first-round grade, that you think they're going to go on to maybe you know a, a perennial Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl kind of career? Yeah, we're uh, so a guy that's probably been inflated a little bit well, actually, I'll go back to Jalen Reger because I think his stock has probably been a little bit more inflated than, than what I'm comfortable with um, in the first round. I've seen some first-round projections for him. I don't think it's warranted. I don't think he's shown that on tape. 
that would be one of them. Christian Fulton, I think he's a good player, but I think he's more of a greedy Williams than he is one of those first-round caliber um, cornerbacks that that maybe we might see in this class with a Jeff Okuda and, and a C.J. Henderson. Those would be two guys that I think probably are being inflated a little bit. Um, a guy that I love that I think is going to be a really successful NFL player is Akeem Davis-Gaither, who is an inside linebacker from Appalachian State. Um, you know, again, one of those modern NFL linebackers, but when you get the size and the speed that he possesses, you're not sacrificing strength and his ability to tackle either. I mean, he excels in each of those. He's able to cover the running back out of the backfield. So I love him. Um, I think he's going to be a steal for whichever team gets in probably late round two, early, early round three. Um, but those would be a couple of guys that I'm kind of curious to see where they land because uh, so much of this is determined by which team you go to. Because if you get into a situation where the coaching staff is going to change after one year or you go to a team that is not going to utilize you in the same in the way that's going to best utilize your talents, then you're not going to be successful. That's just the reality of it. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that. Um, and I'm a I'm a Browns fan, so I'll say this, you know, reasonably. If you were taken by the Browns, you probably wouldn't have had the same upside as the Patriots five years ago. You know, you you kind of expect to be given better coaching with the Patriots than you would would with the Browns in that circumstance. So that all has to be taken into consideration, the amount of talent around you, um, all that kind of stuff. But um, I'm excited, man. It's it's going to be a good time. I've actually already started on uh, 2021 a little bit, so I'll have to uh, talk, talk to you a little bit about Pat Fryermuth and uh, Michael Parsons and all those guys here soon, too. Yeah, yeah. Those Well, certainly uh, we're expecting the 2021 draft class for Penn State to potentially be a bit more star-studded, more top-heavy top heavy guys, you know, like you say, first, second round. We'll see. Uh, a long way to go to get there. But uh, by the way, uh, kudos to you for being scarred by the Browns draft after draft after draft and still landing in this profession. That is persistence, my friend. Uh, so good for you. We look forward to your coverage. Thank you so much for giving us the, the time to join the Lions 24-7 podcast. And we'll do it again when it's appropriate to start shifting focus over to uh, the next draft. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hope you enjoyed the draft conversation. We'll have a, a lot more to discuss about that coming into our first episode of next week now that we'll know the destinations for guys who were drafted, guys who weren't and signed assigned with their initial NFL landing spots. So all that to come your way. Recruiting coverage, team coverage, you know where to find it on the site. In the meantime, lions247.com. On behalf of Sean Fitz, thank you again to Josh Edwards. I'm Tyler Donahue. Stay tuned for more coverage from the Lions 24-7 podcast.